0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. The driest places in the entire planet are the, the poles. They get no rainfall on the, on the poles. But aside from uh, the, the poles, North Pole, South Pole, the driest places in, on our planet are deserts and there's one particular desert that is really, by a long shot, the driest place, again, other than the poles, the driest places on planet Earth. And to give you an idea, it is, you're thinking maybe is it you know, the Sahara Desert? Is it Death Valley? No, it's, an, it's a desert actually in the country of Chile. It is called the Atacama Desert. Here's a picture of that desert. And to give you an idea about how dry this particular desert is, their average annual rainfall is less than a millimeter. That's not a lot. Less than a millimeter. That makes this particular desert the dry, uh, 50 times drier than Death Valley. That's this that desert right there. Uh, the Atacama Desert is uh, has very, very little j- rainfall, but there's a phenomenon that happens every few years, like every five to 10 years, it will actually get a lot of rain. Now, by a lot of rain, it's not a lot of rain by South Florida standards, but a lot of rain by the Atacama Desert standards. And last June was one of those times it got a lot of rain. It got about three and a half inches over the course of the entire month of June. Now, that does not sound like a lot. It's not a lot, especially compared to June in South Florida. That's not a lot. But for the Atacama Desert, that is like a flood. Got a ton of rain by their standards last June. And every time that happens, every five to 10 years, a phenomenon happens where things start to bloom for a short period of time. And last fall after that that uh, rainfall. This is what the Atacama Desert looked like. Uh, I've got a picture of it here. Check out this next picture. Across that desert floor for a few months in late fall, and this is uh, again, every five to 10 years, they call it a super bloom where the desert, again, which once the most driest place, is carpeted with flowers. Some of the flowers are like these purple uh, flowers, some are magenta, some are bright gold, some are, are snow white, but they carpet parts of the desert with these unbelievable glorious flowers. Now, how does this happen? How does this dry, cracked, withered, a part of the world suddenly bloom? Like, how come it doesn't just turn after a few inches of rain into kind of like a, a dirty, muddy, salty swamp for a couple days and then go back to being a dry, cracked land? How can it suddenly bloom after five to 10 years of almost no rain? In fact, there are parts of the desert that, have, that doesn't see any rain at all for decades. Like, how can it suddenly bloom? And what scientists have discovered is that there there are seeds down in that cracked, dry ground that lay there in the dryness, dormant. And all it takes is just a little bit of water, just a little watering on those dormant seeds. And all of a sudden, some of the most beautiful life just blooms right out from that cracked, dry ground. Now, I I share that uh, with you, and I'll bring it over to what we're talking about today, is so often in our lives we can go through seasons where we feel more like the first picture than the second picture. We can go through seasons where our lives feel like we're in a, a desert season, or maybe we just look back at our life and say a desert life. And maybe that dryness is the harsh, withering conditions we're walking through. Maybe it's just the scorching, windswept barrenness of our circumstances. We're walking through difficulty, relational difficulty, maybe financial difficulty, medical difficulty, professional difficulty, financial difficulty. Maybe we're walking through difficulty and we just feel just withered and dried out because of the circumstances we're walking through. Or maybe for others, you'd say, no, it's not as much my my circumstances. It's more like what's going on inside. I just feel like there's no life inside. I just feel dried out, apathetic, numb, unhappy, deep down inside. Maybe you're walking through a season of spiritual dryness, and maybe you would say, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I believe in what Jesus did on my behalf. But if I'm honest, I have seen other seasons of my life where I felt like that was electrifying my life. I was alive from the inside out. I had joy. I had passion. I had, I had in the midst of that drive for the kingdom of God, I still had this peace that passes understanding. And I just, I, I was on fire. But I, I just, the last several years, or maybe the last several decades... That's just dried out and there's just not much left of the spiritual fervor inside, I just feel dried out. Well, I love the example of the Atacama Desert because if you're walking in either one of those scenarios and you feel like you're walking through a desert right now, if you have the seeds of the gospel planted in you, then sometimes all that it needs is just a little bit of watering for that life to start blooming again. You say, how can I get that? Because it doesn't matter what circumstances are. If you have those seeds there and you water those seeds, man, that lifely, vibrant, beautiful blossoming can return into our lives. So how do I water that? I wanna show you a passage that speaks directly to that in a really beautiful and profound way. Can you open with me to Colossians chapter four? We're gonna look uh, starting in verse two. Colossians is a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul to a church in an ancient city called Colossae. It is four chapters, so we're right there at the end of this letter. But we believe, obviously, this being in the Bible, we believe that this is not just Paul writing to the Colossians. We believe that this is God's word that he's preserved for us. So. In an even greater reality, this is God writing this to us. So let's look at Colossians. We're going to start, uh, chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 2. Here's what Paul says Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's wrapping up his letter here to the Colossians, and he ends with a challenge. He says, Stay vigilant, stay steadfast in prayer, and then he gives them a prayer request. He says, here's what I'm asking for you. He says, as a a Colossian church, for the, the church in the city of Colossae, here's what I'm asking of you. Would you just pray for me? Pray for my companions. Pray for my partners on this mission. Pray for us that God opens doors for us to share and preach the gospel. Now, Paul did this in a bunch of different ways. Sometimes he would share with people interpersonally. As he was traveling, he'd come across someone and he'd, talk with them and he would ask about their lives and then they would get in a discussion and he'd share about the person of Jesus and that person often would give their life to Jesus because of the incredible good news that God has for every single person of forgiveness and acceptance and love and of a new life walking in Christ and for, li- for living forever in eternity with Jesus, the message from God to humanity that is incredible good news. And he'd, often he would just share it interpersonally. Sometimes he would, uh, he would share it openly and publicly. There were times he was invited into the auditor- city auditoriums and he would share it openly to anyone from the city who would come. Often he would go into synagogues and he would talk uh, at the local Jewish synagogue. Sometimes he'd be invited into someone's home and people would be brought in and they would have worship services there in a home. Paul's mission, his, his task was to go from city to city to city, and he was preaching the gospel. And in this context, he's saying, look, if I have one request of you, would you just pray more doors are open for me to be able to preach the gospel? And when I do preach the gospel, share this message about Jesus, that I share it in a way like I'm supposed to, that I share it with clarity. I'm not mixing it up with other things. I'm not adding to it. It's just the pure, simple message of the gospel. He says, would you open a door for me, pray for open doors for me, and I preach it with clarity. He says, because this gospel is the reason I'm right now in prison. So Paul is most likely in Rome. And in this time, he's writing the book of Colossians and Philemon. It's most likely that he's written those two books together Philemon, it would appear, lives in Colossae. So he writes, if you know some of Paul's letters from the Bible, he writes the book of Colossians for the entire church, the book of Philemon for that individual of Philemon. Uh, we believe that Philemon responds positively to his letter, which is why it was then shared openly with the church and then shared around to the churches and then preserved by God throughout history. So he's writing in this time, he sent Colossians and Philemon to Colossae. Uh, in addition, in this season, it seems like he's probably also written the book of Philippians. And from the book of Philippians, because there's similar things from the, from the life of Paul at this time, from the book of Philippians, we get a little bit more of a window into what he means by being in prison. Right now, he's in chains, literally, and he doesn't know whether or not he will be let out with his life. It's He's... He may be executed at the end of this, and we know eventually he was executed under the reign of of Nero. He was uh, beheaded from what we know from church history. He was eventually executed. Right now, he's in prison, and he writes to the Philemon, same same season. I don't know whether I'm going to get out of prison alive or not. He says, but I'm still preaching. He says, I'm actually preaching to the guards in prison and many of them are starting to come to faith, and it's starting to affect parts of the household of Caesar because I'm preaching to these guards. He says, in addition, this is a really bleak season for Paul because he's not only in prison for the sake of the gospel, but there are other preachers out there, these other Christians that are actually bad-mouthing Paul. So just put yourself in Paul's shoes for a second. I mean, this is really rough. Like everything is kind of like falling apart for Paul. You know, his old life, he had built this career as a Pharisee, he's rejected that for Christ. So all of the honor, all of the education, all the hard work, all the meticulous following, following the Mosaic law... All of that, he says, I counted as nothing for the sake of Christ. He's then given his life to go on mission, and at least he had his freedom going from city to city to city to city. And even if they tried to stone him to death or beat him with rods or put, throw him in prison or beat him up, at least he had his freedom to go around and preach the gospel. Even if he was shipwrecked and sleeping under the stars with no place, uh, no place to stay, at least he had his freedom to go around preaching the gospel and go from city to city to city. But now he doesn't even have that. He's now in prison. He can't move. He can't leave. He's, uh, some scholars think the literal kind of scenario is he's ch- chained to a guard. And what we know historically, often those guards were just as miserable being ch- chained to a prisoner as the prisoner was being chained to the guard and so would often mistreat the prisoners they were chained to. He's chained to a guard. This is miserable. He's lost his freedom unjustly. His future's bleak. He might be executed in any any number of creative, torturous ways. And if that wasn't bad enough, he's losing his reputation on top of that. People are bad-mouthing him. Friends, they're turning turning their backs on him. They're stabbing him in the back. Okay, so look at Paul's life situation, okay? And he gives one prayer request to the Colossians. I don't know about you, but what strikes me as there's something like notably absent from his prayer requests. He doesn't say, hey, pray steadfastly, and can I give you something to pray steadfastly about? Could you pray steadfastly that I get out of prison? Doesn't mention it. Doesn't happen to come up. He says, I'm in prison. And pray that God continues to open doors for me to preach the gospel and share it with clarity. He still has his eyes focused on opportunities to bear fruit for the gospel. He's still seeking first the kingdom of God. Okay, we have well maybe, I mean it's not the end of the letter. Maybe he circles around. Let me just read you the end of the letter. I want you to see the mode Paul goes to. Let me just read how the rest of the letter reads. Let's just pick it up. In, in verse seven. Here's all of his kind of personal information. Here's what he says. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God for i bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in laodicea and in hierapolis luke the beloved physician greets you as does demas Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, let it also be read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, here's the last thing he says. I, Paul, write these, this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. A lot of information there. There's a lot of characters in the Bible. Some of them are familiar, guys like Luke and uh, Mark and some, some kind of famous guys, some lesser known guys like Epaphras. Epaphras was actually the church planter who planted the church in Colossae. Paul didn't plant this church, Epaphras did. And Paul references that earlier in the letter. And he gives them an update on their original founding um, pastor or apostle or founding pastor, Epaphras, and says he just continues to labor over you, praying over you, struggling in his prayers over you. You just see a window in Epaphras' prayer life, thinking back on these uh, men and women in this church, this budding church. And he shares, all of this information, all these personal information, he's wanting to encourage them. He's sending the messenger to encourage them. He's talking about all these things. He's thinking about the Church of Colossae and the only other thing that he references regarding the fact that he is in a miserable circumstance. Remember my chains. It's command. So why? Why are the Colossians to remember his chains? Why are we with that command left in scripture, to remember Paul's chains. is we're seeing an example of a man in maybe the most miserable, withering, worst moment in his journey, still so feverishly, aggressively wanting to bear fruit. If he can leave him with one prayer request, it wasn't, could you all pray and fast that I'm freed from prison? Would you pray and fast that people stop bad-mouthing me? Would you pray and fast that I don't get torturously executed? None of those things. He had one request. I just want to keep bearing fruit. And if God has me here in prison, he wants me to bear fruit here in prison. And how does someone do that? I mean, can we just be like, normal humans for a second. When things get really, really difficult, challenging, disappointing, I tend to get more self-focused. It's a tendency for humanity where we tend to be like we feel sorry for ourselves. We kind of look down at ourselves. We just keep saying, "Oh, when will this be over? God, help this be over. Can you pray this is over? Everyone, pray that what I'm going through right now is over. And and I just I got to get through this. And when will this happen? I, I need help. I can't. I need to get through this. And what, God, where are you? And I, it just we can tend to so much when difficult things are happening. When things are just dried out, we're withered and and beat down by the harsh sun or the 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 punishing wind of whatever drought that we're walking through. Man, we're walking through that, it can so often turn our focus inward. So desperately trying to feel some kind of comfort or happiness and joy, and we take our, our eyes off of fruitfulness. We actually forget about fruitfulness. We actually don't do what Paul says. We actually often excuse a lack of fruitfulness because of a difficult season. We say, well, look, clearly I can't focus on that or I can't focus on anyone else or I have clearly I have nothing left to give because I've got all that I can manage here with a difficult circumstance. And that seems perfectly normal. Even as I say that, that seems understandable. But Paul's giving us a model. He says, remember my chains. He's saying, look at the manner of life I'm living while going through this difficult season. And here's what's crazy. We have this picture from the book of Colossians and also Philippians, by the way, of how to walk through those dry and withering Seasons. And he gives, gave us, he's been giving us this hint all through these last two chapters. I want you to look back one verse and what he says in verse 2. Look at this Colossians 4, verse 2. Look what he said. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He's commissioning the colossians to be steadfast in prayer another way you could translate that is busying yourself with prayer he's saying christian if you have a if you have a relationship with jesus a relation, robust relationship with jesus and prayerlessness do not go together a relationship with jesus and following jesus what it should look like is a robust relationship with God in prayer. But I don't know about you, so often I've, I've walked through seasons and I've said, look, I, I, I see some people or missionaries or pastors or like really seems like strong Christians and man, they love prayer. They run to prayer. You have to pry them away from prayer. They spend hours in prayer. It's the best part of their day. They come out of prayer and they're excited and full of joy and overflowing. And you're like, man, that's great. And maybe you've been through seasons where you're like, man, my prayers are like five minutes of really trying not to check my email. And I'm sitting there for five minutes, and it's just like trying to get to the finish line of five minutes of what seems like just kind of an inauthentic time where I'm trying to think about an invisible God that's not right there in my, in my midst. And, and, you know, and you say, like, oh, look, I know there's so many parts of prayer. He says, be watchful in prayer. There's so many things that I can do in prayer. I can be watchful of all of the things that God is showing off about who he is, his creativity, his provision, his, his power, his fatherhood. Man, there's so many things I can be like, like, look what you showed me, God. There's so many ways I can worship God in prayer. Man, there's so many things I can look over my life and say, Wow, well, I, I, I need to bring this before God. God, I'm struggling with this. There's confession in prayer. God, I, if I'm honest, I think this was a sinful attitude or I know that this was a sinful thing or Lord, I'm struggling with doubts or I'm struggling with anger and disappointment with you. I feel like you let me down and we can bring God all of that confession in prayer. We can bring all the things that we're walking through in prayer. We can be watchful over our spouse's life, our husband or our wife. We can be watchful over our kids' lives, watchful uh, over our friends' lives. We can be watchful over our lives and be bringing these these requests to God. We be watchful over our our health and be watchful over our, our jobs and watchful over our cities. Be watchful over our churches in prayer. There's so much to talk to God about in prayer. Man, I, I, can, I can then be watchful and diligent like Epaphras and praying for my friends and my church and my members of my small group, the people I serve with, and I can be my coworkers, and I can be diligently digging in in prayer and taking things down and writing down so I don't forget to pray faithfully for these people. There's so many. I mean, there's enough content to fill our prayers for hours every single day. And maybe you've had seasons of that. I, I feel like I've probably had, I, I know I've had seasons of both. I have seasons where prayer was just alive and vibrant and then seasons where it seemed dry like I'm crawling along. But Paul is saying, no, you have a, a busy, urgent, devoted, steadfast, active, vibrant prayer life. That's not just for missionaries and super-Christians. It's for all followers of Jesus. So how do I get that? He has now for the fourth time in 12 verses commanded us to do something and just sprinkled this little ingredient on top like this little secret ingredient. It's right all in the end of Colossians. 12 verses, four different times he's done that. He says, be steadfast and watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. There's this secret at the end of Colossians that he keeps weaving through, this secret ingredient. That's not just a nice thing. It's not just a, I probably should do this. It's powerful, and he wants to release the power of this in your life and in my life. It's the power of thankfulness. Paul is saying, look at my life. Okay, what is he saying in this passage? He's saying, look at my life. He's kept his eyes on fruitfulness despite this difficult circumstances. He said, watch my life. Here's what I'm challenging you to do. Have a robust prayer life and be thankful. And similar to how in Philippians, he's going through this difficult time and he's just commanding them to rejoice and rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. In Colossians, he's going through a difficult time and he keeps saying, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. He's saying the secret ingredient of thankfulness. And just like he's, he's sprinkled it into these other areas of our lives, he's now sprinkling it into prayerfulness. See, why is it that sometimes we struggle to pray? First response is, I'm just really busy right now. Let's just call that out what it is. We know that's not true. Prayer, it does require set aside devoted time. But it costs nothing else. And we make time for our priorities. And we know that if all of a sudden blipped up on our schedule the opportunity to meet with like someone we really admire, we would move everything aside and meet with that person. And prayer is getting the full attention and audience of God the most powerful being who can move galaxies who loves you and is for you so we know it's not a it's not a time issue it's a priority issue so let's dig a little deeper. Why don't we make prayer a priority? And here's why I think often prayer is no longer a priority in our lives. I think it's no longer a priority because one, we really just don't think it's very productive. And two, we don't think it's very enjoyable. And so we have really two segments of our life. We have the part that we're very productive in, and then we have our leisure where we're Pursuing enjoyment. So we have our productive part. It's work. It's business. It's you know the details of, of running a family and a household. It's all the productive stuff. And then we're exhausted, so then we need to recharge. And we pursue hobbies and Netflix and the spa or whatever it is. And we pursue things that we are refilling ourselves with. And there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with some of those things, but we don't carve time out of the productive side for prayer and we don't carve time often out of the enjoyable side for prayer. So it's probably because we don't think it's very productive and maybe because we don't think it's very enjoyable. So we don't prioritize it in either of those buckets. And yet we logically know that that cannot be true. I mean, God is, we know the Bible calls us into prayer and we know that prayer does, the Bible tells us persistent continual prayer, praying and pushing into th- things that are according to his will. We know that prayer moves things, that he's calling us into relationship to join with him and that he wants to work through those prayers. We know he does that. And we know the one we're praying to moves mountains. He can move galaxies. He could reorient the orbit of our planet. He actually had the sun stand still at one point for the armies of Israel. Like, we know that prayers can do incredible things. In fact, Jesus said, like, prayers can move. You could, could, in faith, have this mountain pick up and be thrown into the sea, and it would. I mean, Jesus says that kind of thing. So, like, we know cognitively, like, it actually would be the most productive thing. Like, if God answered all of our prayers, we could actually then, like, have nothing left to do. Like, I mean, he... We know that conceivably, theoretically, there's nothing that could possibly be invented more productive than prayer. And when it comes to the enjoyment side, I mean, we know theoretically, I say that prayer is not enjoyable. That can't be true. We just don't know how to activate it. I mean, we're going to the source of the one that invented all of, that is alive and joyous and life-giving. He is the source of life. He's the source of joy and he's calling us to joy. The Bible says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, going into the presence of God, I mean, it would be the most overflowing, filling, life-giving space. I mean, we know theoretically, like prayer and time and the presence of God, could be the most productive thing, could be the most enjoyable thing of our life. So how do we just activate that? Paul gives us this little ingredient that he sprinkles in and he calls it thankfulness. Imagine what thankfulness can release in your prayer life. Maybe the reason we forget that prayer is productive is we bring a lot of prayer requests to God and we forget to go back and reflect on how many of them he answered. And so we're just on this treadmill of asking, 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 asking. And we've never stopped to 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 marvel at the fact he's like, okay, yes. Or I'm gonna say no because I have something better. Or yes, but maybe not at this moment, but because I've, I've got a couple of other things i got to work out first. And maybe the more if we just stopped and thanked him for how much he was answering in our prayers, we'd actually see right before us how productive prayer actually is. We'd see how true it is, but if we never pause and say, i got to review, Lord, I asked for this, and you did it. It's incredible. Thank you. We'd start to realize right in front of us how active God is in our lives. And we'd be, we would be energized to the reality of how productive prayer is. Maybe the reason that prayer is not enjoyable is because instead of stopping and thanking him for all of the incredible things in our lives, we get into this selfish mode of prayer where it's, all, it's really complaining of all the things he's not yet done. And so it's a drain. It doesn't fill me with joy but if I entered into prayer with thankfulness, it would release this joy in my life. Here's what I want you to see. Can we zoom out for a second? We've been working through this series, uh, Cultivate, and it, he begins and he ends in this similar note. He's calling us to a life that is living out this incredible fruitfulness. I think that's what you want and what I want. I want my life to matter. I want to be used by God for God. I I want to see God doing things for the sake of his kingdom in my life. I think we want that. I think you want that and I think I, I want that. And yet, so often, what happens is we get to a place in our life where we're going through a difficult season, or we're going through things of disappointment, or, or it's hard, or it feels dry. And what happens is, when it comes to fruitfulness, in what, what all we know to do when things are difficult is we retreat and we say, "Look, this is just not a good time, God. This is not a good time to be used here. This is not a good time to pursue my mission. It's not a good time to be mobilized and do what you want me to do. This is not a good time to like be like inviting people to church. I just got too much on my mind." It's It's not a good time to serve at my church. It's not a good time to like really dig into my marriage. It's just just too hard. It's too difficult. It's not a good time to like really pour into my kids. It's not a good time to really invest in relationships because I'm just empty. And so what we do when things get difficult, instead of pushing into fruitfulness like Paul did, what we end up doing is we retreat. We don't know what else to do. And through this entire section, what Paul's been teaching us to do is instead of retreat from living a life that God is empowering you to fulfill the good works he's prepared before time began for you to walk in. Instead of retreating from bearing fruit, he says, refresh. Refresh your life. I mean, walk walk through these, these four. Let's bring this series Let's tie this up. Let's look at these four weeks. Week one, we talked about how much we love community. We love friendships. We want healthy relationships, but we get hurt. And so what often happens is we get critical and we recoil from relationships. And Paul says, throw Thanksgiving in there. And all of a sudden we realize how grateful we are for some of these relationships. It doesn't take all the difficulty away, but it inspires us to have the ability to forgive and to work through and pursue relationships. Because if we want thriving lives, we've got to pursue friendships and relationships. Or or we're going to dry out. And so he says, sprinkle some thankfulness in there. And then we talked about our relationship with God. And he says, look, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Worship God, like musical worship, singing to God with thankfulness. Because so often we forget that the role of worship music from cover to cover in the Bible is to soften our hearts, draw us into worship, and remind us of all of the many things we have to give thanks to God for all of his attributes and all the work of the gospel in our lives. Relationships, personal worship, they're so life-giving. Last week, Pastor Craig taught us, he said, through this passage of Scripture, this passage is talking about, look at all of the things in your life today that you can give thankful for. Give thanks for. Why? Because we can so get in this cycle of discontentment, constantly focused on what we don't have, constantly striving for the things that we don't have. And God's saying, he's calling us back, he says, look at all that you do have It's unbelievable. And then this week, he's saying, look at this prayer. It's often we're prayerless because we've not stopped to realize how productive we can be in prayer and how life-giving prayer can be. And thankfulness is this ingredient that we sprinkle in our life. It brings prayer. It brings contentment. It brings worship. It brings relationships. And all in this context of Paul urging us to continue to bear fruit in our lives. The last three weeks, if you've journeyed with us, we've been in a... We, we've done what we call the 200 Reasons Initiative, where every day, waking up 10 things to thank God for. You always have so many things to thank God for. Here's how I wanna challenge you to walk out of this series. is so every morning, begin your time of prayer thinking back and thanking God. What are the things I prayed for yesterday? What are the things I've been praying for that you said yes to? And let that release not only just joy but reminding all that God is doing and how active he is in prayer. I wanna close with this. So often we walk through seasons of our life that are just so dry and cracked and withered. But if you have the seeds of the gospel, all it takes is just watering those seeds He's given us the way to do it, to water those seeds. And one of those key things is just watering those seeds with some thankfulness and prayer and let that life bloom again. But some of you, the reason that your life feels dried out is you need the gospel. And maybe you're running away from God or running away from the church or you're just distant and running because it's like, no, I just I don't want to return to all that religion I mean, I can't handle all that right now like I've got so much I'm working on right now I can't can't deal with the fact that I'd have to add all these spiritual chores you're not being invited to religion you're being invited to a relationship with God you're being invited to Jesus and if he can take a desert like that nearly miraculously bring life, beautiful blossoms. Imagine what he can do in your soul who is infinitely, infinitely more valuable to him. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. He says, anyone who comes and drinks me will have fountains of living water running, flowing from the inside out. He's calling you to himself. He met a woman at the well who kept going back to a well over and over to get water every single day. But Jesus says that was really just kind of a metaphor for the fact that she was going from one romantic relationship to the next. And he says, what you're really looking for deep down that will satisfy you is the Messiah, Jesus. Some of you are saying, man, there's something missing in my life. We're not asking you to, to add religion or church in First and foremost, you add Jesus in, and that gives life to joining into a church family. Bring Jesus into your life. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose again that you could live forever in heaven. He wants to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. Send the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the earth before creation was brought forth it's the same Holy Spirit that wants to settle in your heart and bring life to you from the inside out. Put your faith in Jesus today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I want to just pray over you today. Some of you, maybe you feel like you're... you're in a spirit, a season of dryness. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you have just a spirit of dryness in your heart. If that's you, just confess that silently to God. Just say, "Lord, you know that I'm just not. I'm just dry. Would you revive me, Lord? I pray that you would do that for those believers that." They want those rivers of living water flowing up and out of their hearts. I ask for the Holy Spirit to fill them in greater capacity today. Would you do that work? Others of you are here and say, look, I've tried everything else, but I just feel dry. I've been resisting God because I've been pursuing other things, but I just, I'm ready to try Jesus. Jesus, I'm ready to take a step and follow you. If that's what it means to get the life that I've, I've longed for just some joy and purpose in my life. I'm I'm ready to be rescued by you. Surrender to him. I want to lead you in that prayer. So if that's you, just silently in your heart, just pray this, say, Lord Jesus, just right now, just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm ready to take a step. I want a relationship with you. I need to be rescued from my sin. Please forgive me. I make you my Lord and my King. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, um, I wanna encourage you, if you're watching online, go to cityrev.org faith. If you're here, you can go to cityrev.org slash faith. And even better, if you're here, um, you can go to the, the front lobby. We've got a Bible for you. Just go to that guest services and say, hey, I put my faith in Jesus. I would love to have a Bible. We'll put a Bible in your hands as you leave. Church, we're going to close with a song where we're going to be reminded of all the things we've witnessed God do. All the things that we've witnessed Him, him do in our lives to revive our faith, to revive Uh, those seeds of the gospel to bring gratitude out. So would you stay with me as we close with this Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.